following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. Well, I don't know about you, but it is hard for me to believe that it is already May and summer is upon us. Uh, in my life, it seems like the past four or five months have been a blur and really fast forward position. Uh, things are moving rapidly. Uh, time doesn't stand still for anyone. And before you know it, just a couple of weeks, school's going to be out. They're testing already. They're getting ready for graduation. Um, summer's going to be here full blown before you know it. And uh, in just a few short weeks, uh, this sanctuary is going to look like an arcade. We're going to have so much video game stuff, uh, Uno cars, dominoes, uh, as we get ready for vacation Bible school. So uh, many of you know that uh, I really, really, really enjoy vacation Bible school. <laughs> uh, I love to do the characters. I love to be there with the kids and just cut up with them. Uh, Events like that have always been a big part of our life and a big part of our summers. We've been involved in camps at uh, Dry Creek, preteen camps for a number of years. Um, they're a lot of work, but they are so, so worth it. When you hear stories, uh, even from adults that remember how their lives have been impacted by summer camps and vacation Bible schools, I know I've seen some uh, mighty moves of God during those times in my life personally. Uh, our theme this year uh, for Vacation Bible School is Twists and Turns. It's all going to be based on uh, games, and you're going to see that. Uh, you already see that if you go upstairs above the fellowship hall right now. The, cl- the classes are ready, the decorations are there, and everything is ready for things to just uh, make a big transformation here uh, in this sanctuary. Uh, The motto for this year is going to be following Jesus changes everything. And it's going to follow the life of the Apostle Peter and uh, how his life was drastically changed by the Lord. So I got to thinking about Vacation Bible School. Uh, You know, where did it originate from? How long has Vacation Bible School been taking place? Uh, The best I could tell, 1894, uh, a school teacher by the name of D.T. Miles, uh, she felt... Somewhat time constrained in her abilities to teach during the year, so she wanted to carry that on into the summer uh, and then started a daily Bible school to teach children during the summertime months. And so her first vacation Bible school enrolled 40 kids and lasted for four full weeks. Uh-uh. <laughs> One week, uh, five days is plenty enough for three hours a day, man. Uh, I remember the first vacation Bible school we had here. I had a blast. Uh, we were still somewhat in the COVID time, the pandemic time. Uh, but uh, I still had a good time, and it was hot. Uh, wasn't really used to the climate down here in Morgan. So you, you would think that there's not that big of a difference between De Quincey, the same state, in Morgan City, but I remember the first time Marcy and I pulled up here, she said, man, it is hot down here. I said, same state, there's only, you know, like maybe a hundred miles that separates uh, us from where the quench is at. But anyway, uh, I, I can remember wrapping up one of the days, I don't remember if it was the second or third day of vacation Bible school, 
But uh, I went back to my office. I had the doors open and everything. I said, you know, I'm just going to kick my feet up for a few minutes and, and take the weight off my feet. And look, before I know it, I was out like a light. And I had several people say, look, I came by your office a while ago. I was kind of worried about you. I didn't want to wake you up because I thought you were sleeping. But uh, can you imagine four weeks of vacation Bible school? Mm-mm. <laughs> That's a lot of snacks, ain't it? Uh, but it's all worth it. I, and, and we think about ministries like that and, uh, you know, what are they here for? What are they for? And we, we look at the families that have been brought in here. But that's how Vacation Bible School, best I can tell, got started. And just kind of evolved from there. Uh, the curriculums that we use now, uh, most of them come through Lifeway. But there's several different uh, places where you can get curriculums through and uh, we follow the evolution of Vacation Bible School up to what it is now. And, uh, man, it seems like uh, here in just another few weeks, uh, everybody under the sun is going to have VBS signs out. It seems like there's camps going on throughout the city. And, and so, you know, it's worth it all. Any type of ministry that we uh, take part of, uh, any kind of ministry that we set forth in. We talked about this the other day. You know, how do you really measure a ministry and its impact? There's really no way of knowing. It's just knowing that when God is in it, uh, when we pray about it, when we put our effort into it, even if it impacts just one life, it's, it's all worth it. E- even if we were to say we're going to have VBS for four weeks and it only touched one life, it, it would still be worth it to know that that life has been impacted for all of eternity. And so the theme this year is twists and turns, and I can honestly say that uh, I can relate to twists and turns. My life has been through somewhat some twists and turns here uh, the past few years, many life changes. And so the theme for uh, our VBS this year, uh, we're going to look at in Psalms chapter 25, if you want to turn there tonight. And we'll relate that somewhat to the life of Peter as we walk through it. Uh, Teach me your path. And that's the basics that we're going to look at through our vacation Bible school. As we talk about following Jesus changes everything, that's what we want to do. We want to teach kids early on, you know, following the Lord is important. Uh, Not being uh, ashamed of your faith, that's important. Being bold about your faith, that's important. Understanding how holy God is and how he wants to be a part of our lives, all of that is important. As we look at Psalms 25, uh, the key verse for our vacation Bible school this year is verse 4. But we're going to start off at verse 1. Uh, we're going to read through down, down through verse 7 and then we'll unpack it. Psalm 25, uh, beginning in verse 1. It's a, it's a plea for deliverance and forgiveness. Uh, There's a common thread through the whole chapter that I'm going to point out here in just a little bit. Uh, Beginning in verse 1, it says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Uh, Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. That word wait right there, that is one of the common threads throughout the chapter. Uh... Let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait 
all the day. Remember, O oh Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercies, remember me for your goodness' sake, O oh Lord. Father God, we thank you for this word. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight to study your word, to worship you, and to pray together. I just pray, Lord God, as we begin moving in the, in the direction of preparing for Vacation Bible School, uh, reaching out, uh, handing out information, Lord God, uh, inviting families. Uh, we just pray, Lord God, that those that you bring here during that week, uh, that you would begin preparing their hearts right now, Lord God. We don't know who all is going to be here. We don't know what families will be here. Uh, but we do know, Lord God, that you will draw those to yourself that you've chosen to save. And you'll give us the opportunity as well, Lord God, to minister to their families. Uh, you'll also give us the opportunity, Lord God, to testify of your love for us and your love for them. And I pray, Lord God, that the kids that will be here each and every day, Lord God, that they would see Jesus in us. Uh, the way that we act, the way that we respond, the way that we handle every situation. And I pray for the GOLA team that will be here as well, Lord God. I don't know exactly who will be on that team. Uh, but I pray, Lord God, as, as you begin preparing them, Lord God, that you'll bring them here safely and that uh, they will just pour their hearts into uh, the kids that are, are here, and Lord God, and that we just thank you for the opportunity to have this team. And once again, Lord God, we seek your wisdom, we seek your will, and we seek your way. As we study this psalm, Lord God, teach us about how to follow you uh, in a way that we should. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So there are several things that we see here about following the Lord. Uh, most importantly, as we talk about vacation Bible school and how uh, the motto is following Jesus changes everything. That's what I want to look at in this psalm is, you know, what are some things that we need to have in our life to effectively follow the Lord? What are some of the requirements of following the Lord? And what are some things in our lives that we need to commit to uh, to allow us to follow the Lord more closely than we ever have before. Uh, verses 1 through 2, I think we see that following Jesus requires a high level of trust. It's the first thing that the psalmist mentions here. He says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. So that's a common theme throughout the psalms is trusting in the Lord. Uh, Proverbs as well, we see uh, that uh, Solomon writes about trusting in the Lord with all your heart, leaning not to your own understanding. Uh, but we know that David was a man who trusted in the Lord completely, for even from his youth before he became king of Israel. And so that's what I wanted to ask you about tonight is that when you became a follower of Jesus, um, there were actually multiple levels of trust that had to take place. Uh, first of all, somebody had to lead you to Jesus. Maybe you got saved in vacation Bible school. Maybe you got saved in a summer camp. Uh, but you had to trust in that person that was teaching you your Bible study. Uh, when you went forward to make your decision or when you went to that camp counselor, when you went to that adult at vacation Bible school, you were trusting in them with that situation that they would lead you in the path that you needed to go to 
to find the Lord. So not only did you have to trust in the Lord for your salvation and for your eternal destination, but there were multiple layers of trust uh, that you had to go through during that time. So as the story unfolds about Peter and his life, uh, that's what we'll be using for Vacation Bible School. I got to thinking about uh, Peter and when he began following the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, You know, why why did Peter initially trust in the Lord? You know, Jesus kind of just come out of the clear blue, uh, found Peter and his brothers mending their nets. And he said, hey, he said, you know, I want you to follow me. And so it was at that point that Peter left his occupation, basically left his family, left his entire way alive, and he trusted in the Lord and began on that day following someone that he had never met before. Maybe he had heard of Jesus, I don't know. Maybe Peter was already considering leaving the family business. Maybe there were some personal issues taking place. Uh, But think back to your salvation experience. Uh, what was good, what was God doing basically behind the scenes of your life at that time? Was he doing something to kind of set the stage for that day when he said, Hey, I want you to follow me. And then when you stepped out in faith and trusted in him with your life, you know, was that just a culmination of a bunch of different things going on in your life? What did God have to do to set the stage for you to say, yes, I will trust in you and I will follow you. With my life. And and so, in our life, through the many twists and turns that life takes us through, uh, our trust in the Lord grows every step of the way. So, as we think about the writer of this psalm, David, uh, think about David and the purpose of this psalm altogether. Uh, As a young king, making uh, everyday decisions, making constant decisions. How much did he have to trust in the Lord? I think that that trust continued growing even more as he became king and following him in his life. His level of trust grew with every victory that God gave him. So think about the level of trust that David had to make on the day that he faced Goliath, his biggest opponent ever. Before he even became king as a young man, as a young shepherd boy, where did that trust come from? David had been following the Lord because he was already playing songs. He was already writing songs. He already knew who the Lord was. He had a a godly father, a godly family that worshiped the Lord. So maybe he had seen that level of trust in someone else. But even before he faced Goliath, remember the conversation that he had with Saul? He said, you know, I'm not going to wear your armor for one thing. I don't trust in it. I haven't proven it yet. He said, my trust is in the Lord. I followed him. He said, not only that, he said, I know that the Lord is going to give me this victory because here's what God has allowed me to do so far. He's allowed me to conquer the lion and he's allowed me to conquer the bear while I was protecting my father's sheep. So I trust in the Lord to help me to defeat this Philistine giant, this ungodly person who stands against the army of the Lord. He had followed the Lord as a young boy all the way up into this part, and he had trusted in the Lord to help him conquer those other two enemies. He said, now my my confidence in the Lord and my trust in him is at a level to where I know, based on what I've seen in the past, he'll allow me to have this victory as well. 
He said, God allow me to kill the lion and the bear. And that's where his confidence and his trust in the level in the Lord began. So Peter's trust in the Lord. How much did it have to grow? Not only on the day when he stepped out and said, I will follow you, Lord. I trust in you with my life. I trust you enough to leave behind my occupation, my family, everything that I know of, everything that I own, I'm leaving behind and I'm trusting in you and I'm following you. But we find out for the next three years that Peter's level of trust had to grow with every miracle that he observed while he was with Jesus. One of the first miracles he saw was with his own mother-in-law. His own mother-in-law was stricken with a fever. That's what we're going to talk about next Sunday morning is when Jesus healed his mother-in-law. It started off with that. The feeding of 5,000 we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Every miracle that Peter got to be a part of, every miracle that he got to witness. And not only that, he, he stepped out and he walked on the water with the Lord. He trusted it enough to get out of the boat that night on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus said, Peter, I want you to come out here to where I'm at. But even at the level of his trust, there came a point to where he was ashamed of his relationship with the Lord. And the night before Jesus died, not just once, not just twice, but three times. He denied even knowing the Lord. And the psalmist here writes, he said, You, my God, I trust in you. And because of that trust, let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. And I think that as David took the twists and turns throughout his life, his level of trust in the Lord had to grow. And, and that's the way ours is. Following Jesus requires that high level of trust in everything that we do and everything that he asks us to do. Second thing we see here is that following Jesus removes all of our shame. Following Jesus removes all of our shame. There's no doubt about it when God wipes away all of our sins and our iniquities. Not only does he want to remove our guilt, but he wants to remove our shame as well. That's what the psalmist writes here in the second part of verse 2. Let me not be ashamed and let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed and let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. So we see this theme of those who should be ashamed and those who should not be ashamed surfacing throughout this particular psalm. This theme of, of not being ashamed and trusting, they're, they're intricately connected in this psalm. Uh, verse 20, look at verse 20. He says, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed for I put my trust in you. So everywhere we see this trust being mentioned, the psalmist says, because I trust in you, I'm not going to be ashamed of my relationship with you. So David's prayer is that the shame would be upon the enemies of God and not the servants of God. So there was a time in Peter's life, when we go back and talk about the apostle Peter, there was a time in Peter's life where he learned a lesson on being ashamed of Jesus. We talked about it just a moment ago. He denied knowing Jesus three times, but after Peter met the resurrected Lord that morning on the Sea of Galilee, 
Jesus restored him. He said, Peter, look, you don't have to be ashamed of this. No greater demonstration of forgiveness than that morning by the seaside campfire. Jesus had breakfast ready for him. He said, Peter, come here. He said, I I don't want you to live your life with this regret. I don't want you to live this life of shame. I don't want you to live this life being sorrowful over what you've done. Jesus came to him. He said, you know, Peter, that's a natural response. That's something that anybody could have done. But here's what I want to do. I want to make sure you understand just how much I love you, how much I care for you, and how much that incident the night before my death is now in the past and you're forgiven of it. He said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Don't be ashamed of it, Peter. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. And for the same number of times that Peter denied knowing the Lord, Jesus said, don't be ashamed of it anymore. And I would have to think that after that, Peter was never ashamed again. As a matter of fact, his boldness exceeded anyone else's. For the rest of his life, he would go to his death not being ashamed of his Lord. And so the psalmist here teaches that the more our trust grows, the more our shame of the Lord shrinks as well. He says, Lord, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Don't let my enemies triumph over me, Lord God. I I don't want to be ashamed of my relationship with you. But I'm waiting on you, and I'm not going to be ashamed of who I am and who you are and my trust in you. The next thing we see is in verses 4 and 5 that following Jesus requires continued prayers for guidance. Prayers for guidance. One our, in our discipleship meeting just a moment ago, uh, we talked about mentoring others. We talked about things that we prayed for. We talked about how big of a struggle it is to pray sometimes. We were just really, really transparent, open and honest about a bunch of things. And uh, that prayer for guidance is something that came up. We, we talked about incidences in our life uh, that we prayed for, big decisions that we made. Moving locations, uh, I wasn't the only one that prayed over uh, leaving our hometown, relocating or what have you. Uh, so many things that we pray for. Uh, you know, following Jesus, not only does it require a high level of trust, um, but it also requires praying for guidance as well. And even though we, we have these twists and turns in life, uh, even though following the Lord grows throughout our life. Uh, We never quit learning. Um, I think that a a safe thing to say is uh, we need to be a perpetual learner. Uh, Every situation that we run across in life, everything that we're praying for guidance over, none of them are going to be the same. I I have never run into any life incidents that I've prayed about that worked out the same, that looked the same, or that ended the same. So that's why we pray for guidance. That's why the psalmist is saying here in verses 4 and 5, Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. 
Lead me in your truth and teach me. And so we see this repetition of words. I've talked about this before in, in biblical interpretation. Is when you see the same word or phrase repeated like that, the writer's trying to emphasize something. So David's saying, don't teach me the, the direction I should go in. Don't teach me about the path that I want. David's saying, I want to know your ways, Lord. The way that you are holy, that's what I want to know. He said, I don't want to know about my way. I don't want to learn the path that my mind would take me on. But he said, your ways, the ways that you have for my life, that's what I want to know. Teach me your paths and teach me in your truth. So as we pray, pray for guidance. Pray for guidance in your life. Pray for guidance in our church. Pray that uh, the Lord will guide me in the direction uh, that I should take us as your shepherd, as your pastor. So we see this theme in Psalms 25 about praying for guidance, not only here in verses 4 and 5, but look at verse 10. He says, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Look at verse 12. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. Look at verse 15. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. I'm keeping my eyes on the Lord. I want him to direct my path. And we see this theme happening in other Psalms as well. Psalms 23. The Lord leads me by the still water. That's that guidance that David is praying for. And then he prays in Psalm 23, lead me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the path that you choose for me, you're not teaching me to bypass that, but you're giving me the confidence and boldness to go down that path that you've chosen. Even when I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So big prayers in my life, prayers for guidance. Uh, happens all the time, happens every day, uh, happens on little decisions, happens on big decisions. And I hope those are, those are some things that you pray for as well. Um, some things I prayed about, praying about coming down here, that was a huge decision in my life. Marcia and I both prayed about that. And the Lord confirmed that to both of us through Scripture. Uh, even since we've been here, think about some of the things we've had to pray about. We prayed about this house situation for <laughs> two years and just patiently waited on the Lord to provide, and he did. Uh, I prayed about that dinosaur projector we had up in the sound booth from the day I got here. I said, man, that thing, even when I first got here, I said, man, that thing is on its last leg, and it just kept playing along, playing along. I prayed about it, and the bulb went out. We changed the bulb. I said, well, it's still got a little life left in it. We don't have to do anything just yet. And I start praying, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to replace it with? What what can we invest in? What can we afford? And then when the thing finally croaked, it just died all of a sudden. I said, all right, there's my answer. There's the path we're to go, and we've got to do something with it now. And uh, the Lord provided with what you see behind me uh, and provided generously about that. Uh, This this tree that you see here in our park a lot right now, we've been praying about that for a while. Who's going to take care of it? Who's going to cut it down? 
It's gone now. We don't have to worry about it. You can quit praying over that one. Uh, it's just going to get taken care of. Uh, but as I began praying about the ministries here at our church, uh, there's been two main ministries that I've been thinking about that we could be involved in. And uh, I see families coming in and people asking me questions about uh, different groups that we can re- reach out to. I-, I can see that prayer starting to unfold now that we patiently waited for it. Um, people that I've talked about, people that I've read about, uh, two great men of prayer that I've read their biographies on, C.T. Studd and George Mueller. Uh, you've heard me mention uh, them several times in sermons. Uh, we look at people like that. We look at the life of Charles Stanley. Man, I, when Charles Stanley passed away a few weeks ago, they started showing pictures of his house and his rooms. And I can clearly remember he, they showed a picture of his prayer room. Did anybody see that picture of his prayer room that they posted on social media? It was just a very small room. And it had a cot to where he can lay out and pray for the Lord. It had a little place for him to kneel. It had a little bench with some books on it. You could say that his life was based on prayer. And these two men that I mentioned, C.T. Studd and George Mueller, one of them was a missionary, and one of them founded an orphanage. He was very involved in it. And we just see their lives impacting the kingdom because of their prayer. They prayed for guidance in each and every decision, in each and every direction that they went in. So the psalmist here weaves that concept uh, into Psalms 25. Lord, I'm praying. I want you to show me your ways. I I want you to show me your paths and not not the paths that I want to take. The paths that I want to take, they're going to take me to the wrong place each and every time. But Lord, each step that I make, I want to make sure that I prayed about it. Every small decision, every purchase, every relationship, Every decision that I base my life on, every ministry that I'm involved in, I, I, I want it to be the correct path. I don't want to go through an unexpected twist and turn, uh, going back to the theme of our vacation Bible school. And, and I would have to think that of all people that really learned about how much of an emphasis the Lord had on prayer would have been Peter. I would have to think that Peter, after Jesus uh, died and, and Peter began his own ministry, uh, even in the book of Acts that we're studying right now on Wednesday night, Peter and John, they were on their way for their time of prayer when they met the lame man and they healed him. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. I, I would have to think that being with Jesus for three years really impacted Peter's prayer life. And that as Peter began the new church there in Jerusalem, I would have to think that as he prayed for guidance, that the Lord guided him each and every step of the way. Think about the times that he got. Do you think he ever interrupted Jesus' prayer life? Do you think that Peter ever just kind of said, hey, Jesus, you know, I know you're praying right now, but we got uh, hungry people out here to feed. I, don't, I would have to think that if Jesus had his prayer cloth and his prayer time, that, that would, Peter would know that this is off limits. This is a time that the Lord wants to be disconnected from everybody else. And I would have to think that to be able to see Jesus take the time to pray for that long left an impact on Peter's life as well. 
David was a man of prayer. I mean, that's where the Psalms were generated from. These were songs and prayers um, that David prayed. This one right here was a prayer. It was a plea for deliverance and for forgiveness. Psalms 51, the biggest prayer of repentance that we see from the life of David. So we know that following Jesus requires continued prayers for guidance. Uh, and last, we see in point number four, following Jesus will require times of extreme patience. Uh, let me just say this. Uh, thank you all for being patient with me uh, over these two years, being a new pastor, a new ministry, a new town. New place coming in here, I, I would have to say that, uh, you know, you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt it was going to take some patience to watch the Lord working in my life as I uh, began this new endeavor and this new ministry in my life. But uh, in our lives, in our own individual lives, trusting in the Lord, uh, praying for guidance, uh, it takes extreme patience for us to be able to do that. And this issue about waiting on the Lord, this is something that we see that's woven into this psalm as well. Not only this psalm, but many others. Uh, but this particular theme is repeated uh, as he says, wait on the Lord. We see it in verse 5. We see it in verse 3. Uh, mentions it as well. And in verse 21, he closes out this particular psalm with the concept of waiting for the Lord. Verse 3 says, indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. In verse 5, he says, on you I wait all the day. And he closes out in verse 21 by saying, let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. So as I mentioned before, waiting in Scripture is never, never passive. It's always active. It doesn't say just sit around and twiddle your thumbs while you wait on the Lord. Uh, you still continue to spread the gospel. You still continue to serve. But as you're praying for that guidance, as you're praying for that one area, that's the place where you stop and you wait. I'm not going to move on this. I'm going to be patient until God gives me the green light. Uh, while we may be waiting on something in particular to be answered, we still serve. We still minister to others and we still share the good news of the gospel. So as you think about that in the life of Peter as well, uh, what was the last thing that Jesus told Peter to do before he ascended into heaven? He said, I want you to go back to Jerusalem and I want you to wait until the Holy Spirit is imparted upon you. And so if we want special things from the Lord, if we really want true answers from the Lord, as we read about what the psalmist has said here how David waited on the Lord for so many different things. Uh, why is it important for us to wait on the Lord? If you really want the good things from the Lord, the good things come to those who wait upon the Lord. So if you've ever been through a uh, drive through at a fast food restaurant, uh, you know that there's a couple of different routes you can take. Uh, Burger King, their motto used to be, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. Uh, but you know that if you go to a fast food restaurant, uh, if you want just the common everyday thing that everybody gets, you just drive up and you say, I'm going to have a number one to go with a Coke, and they're going to have it ready just like that. 
But if you want something a little bit tastier, if you want something a little bit fresh, if you want something a little bit extraordinary or out of the norm of what they're used to giving to you, you pull up and you say, I'll have a Big Mac, uh, no lettuce, no tomatoes, extra pickles, extra mustard. If you put in that special order, what do you got to do? You got to be ready to wait for it. <laughs> it's going to take them just a little bit longer. And so I think that as we consider that in our prayer life, if we want those extra things, if we want those things that are just a little bit more out of the norm, we've got to be willing to wait on them. If you want something fast, if you want something common, um, if you want something speedier, if you want something like everybody else is getting, you just might as well be ready to take the normal. Uh, but if you want something a little bit more extraordinary, Something a little bit more extra, something a little bit more tastier, a little bit better, a little bit fresher. Uh, you got to be willing to wait for it. You got to have that extra patience um, that we sometimes do not have. Heavenly Father, we just come before you tonight. Uh, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your patience towards us, Lord. As we discussed this morning, Lord God, you're not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Your word says that you're long-suffering towards us, Lord God. Uh, there's no such thing as three strikes and you're out, but you're way more patient than that, Lord God. You know that we are but dust. You know that we are weak. You know that we're frail. We know that sometimes, uh, Lord, we get in a hurry. We get impatient and we want to force our will on a situation. But, Lord, teach us how to handle the twists and turns of life. Uh, teach us how to take those situations, Lord God, that come with unexpected uh, turns and change of events, Lord God. Help us to patiently wait for your path, Lord, to patiently pray for uh, your will in each and every area, Lord God, not only in our lives personally, uh, but in our life as a church, Lord God, I know that uh, I believe with all my heart, Lord God, that the better days, the best days for First Baptist Church in Morgan City lie just right around the corner. Uh, Lord, as we wait, patiently wait on them, Lord God, that you'll uh, put the right people in the right place at the right time and you'll just make it apparent what your will for us is and what you want us to be involved in. But, Lord, help us to realize more than anything else that following Jesus changes everything in our life. It changes who we are. It changes how we think. It changes how we respond to those twists and turns in life, Lord God. So as we trust in you, Lord God, as we pray for guidance, uh, help us to be like David, Lord God. Help us to wait for you in all that we do, Lord God. For now, Lord God, I pray that you'll prepare us for Vacation Bible School, get our hearts and our minds ready. Uh, I pray that you'll help us as we prepare our facilities. I pray that you'll help us to handle each and every situation that comes along, Lord God, the way that you would, with compassion, with care, with concern. And looking at each child that walks through that door as someone that you want to impact eternally, Lord God. And just we, we just have no idea, Lord God, the potential of these kids that will be coming to our facilities, Lord. We don't know what you have in store for them, what great ministry. You might have the next great evangelist here, um, first week of June. You might have the next uh, 
great worship leader, Lord God. You might have the next great missionary. And uh, we just pray for the families that will be with them as well, Lord God, that we'll be able to minister not just to the children that will be here, but to their families as well, Lord God, as we open up um, places here where the whole family can be involved in, Lord. Uh, help us to just move in their lives and to be your hands and feet in all that we say and do. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.